don't know if you remember that uh, trend with free the banana girl like eat bananas I was like right I'm gonna be super healthy I'm gonna eat bananas like this is really good and actually because I was in Singapore there's so much fresh fruit so it was really mm. easy mm-hmm. for me to do that um but I think the more I did that the more I got these rules the more I like couldn't break them and I would get really worried if I did I founded the Work Collective a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin. With 1.2 million people living in the UK with eating disorders, and since the pandemic, BEAT, the eating disorder charity, saw a 173% increase in demand for their helpline services. There is no stranger in saying that eating disorders have dramatically risen over the last year and the resources and help has been dramatically strained. And I can say that from personal experience of the BeWell Collective, we really did see a rise in help and need for this sector. It's a really tough one to discuss sometimes and for people to come onto the podcast and share their open experience can be so brave, but also helpful to so many of you listening. Lots of you messaged me and asked me to do a podcast today on orthorexia the new clean eating eating disorder, as it's also known as. Today, I have the wonderful Dr. Rachel Evans, who is a chartered psychologist and has 11 years of studies behind her, including a PhD in the psychology of eating. Rachel herself has suffered from orthorexia and bulimia, and today gives more of a personal episode around her experience of orthorexia. I want to highlight that this episode might be triggering for some people listening. So if you are suffering and this can be too much, please do head to BEAT or other resources within the NHS for further help and support. I hope you enjoy this very brave episode from Rachel and I. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on to Live Well, Be Well today. How are you firstly? I'm very good, thank you. So Rachel, can you first of all tell me all my wonderful listeners who have asked for a recording around orthorexia and eating disorders for such a while, so I'm so pleased that we are doing this today, but would you be able to tell everyone before we kind of divulge into eating disorders and orthorexia and everything surrounding that topic, would you be able to tell everyone about, a bit about yourself and uh, who you are? Yeah, so I guess why I'm qualified um, to talk about this. So I'm a chartered psychologist. Um, I've got a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training to work with clients with eating disorders. So all I do is work with clients with eating disorders. Well, not all I do. Obviously, there's lots of bits to having your business, (laughs) but um, that's my main focus. And I think I got into this area because I had an eating disorder myself. So I was interested in psychology Before I'd done my undergrad, I'd done a master's in health psychology. Um, And then that's when my eating problems really started. Um, Took a kind of break from the research psychology side of things. Um, But then I was really motivated to kind of go back into it and train to work with people one-to-one. I think I got that different perspective having been through it myself and got the academic training side of things um, and the skills to kind of bring all together. Amazing. It is incredible that to even get a PhD and be a doctor is something that should be, you know, highlighted a lot here. You've got a lot of expertise in this area, but also living through that yourself and experiencing yourself, you can really relate to all your patients that you're working with, um, I guess, in a deeper, deeper value than just kind of reading it and understanding it. So would you be happy to explain a little bit about your eating disorder and, and how that manifested and for anyone to maybe hear your own personal story yeah I'll try and keep it in a nutshell because I've definitely talked about this for a full hour before um (laughs) it was when I was doing my master's in health psychology it was like 2012 I think like 
health bloggers were starting to be a thing, like Instagram was getting more popular. And I just thought, if I want to go into health promotion, I have to look healthy in inverted commas. And my definition of healthy at the time was like, have a six pack and be tanned, which Mm -hmm. is obviously quite a narrow definition um, of what being healthy is. So I started to eat all your health foods like kale, even though I didn't really like kale, chia seeds, even though I didn't really like chia seeds, um, kind of following all those bloggers. Um, And I think actually what led this to be an eating disorder rather than I want to eat healthily is... um, I think I was missing a lot in my life. So like my friends from undergrad had dispersed all around the country. I didn't really see them. So I was feeling quite lonely because I didn't really make good friends on my master's because we didn't have that many teaching days a week Mm. to actually connect with people. I was just worried about leaving university as well because um, maybe you maybe don't know me. So it's not obvious, but um, I'm quite a perfectionist and I got my validation from getting good exam results Mm. and so it's like oh where am I I didn't consciously think this at the time but looking back it's like where am I going to get that from Mm -hmm. when I've lost this and I don't know what I want to do for a job and my friends have gone so I think it was just prime time for me to focus all my energy and attention on eating well Mm -hmm. obviously doing well in my master's still but on eating well and then uh long story short I thought I was going out with a guy he didn't think we were going out he treated me very badly and I thought right now I want to look even more fit to make him yeah. jealous. So I put even more energy into like working out, eating clean, um, until it got to the point that I didn't realize how much, how many things I'd cut out. Um, then I moved abroad. I got a job as a research assistant that was in Singapore. And I'd read so many things. I've been watching so many YouTube videos about being fruitarian, or I don't know if you remember that. Uh, trend with free banana girl yeah. like eat bananas I was like right I'm gonna be super healthy I'm gonna eat bananas like this is really good and actually because I was in Singapore there's so much fresh fruit so it was really mm. easy mm-hmm. for me to do that um but I think the more I did that the more I got these rules the more I like couldn't break them and I would get really worried if I did and then also mm. like the the new people that I met there had only seen that side of me so they thought, oh, Rachel's like so interested. Rachel's so healthy. Rachel always works out, you know. And yeah. that was me, but it was also this kind of the eating disorder identity that I'd made for myself. And mm. I kind of knew it was a problem, but I was enjoying doing it. So I didn't, you know, reckon, yeah. really recognize it until my dad came out to visit me. Um, and he was just really shocked that I lost so much weight. And I think another really key thing to point out I was doing all this to be healthy but actually like my skin was dull my hair was falling out Mm. so I really wasn't actually that healthy and he was like can you oh he actually said I'm going to cancel the family holiday to come and visit you if you don't start eating more so it was almost an ultimatum but I remember I bought different foods from the shop and I was so scared to eat it Mm. and I think that's when I already studied about eating disorders actually for my A-levels and my undergrad um so I think that's another key thing to point out just because you know about eating disorders it doesn't mean that you can't then get an eating disorder like um Mm. in my third year of uni I actually got an award for my exam which I'd written about partly eating disorders so it's like I know about this but it's still happening almost happening to me Mm. I feel like I didn't really choose it um to happen so things did get better, better. I was eating a bit more, but it just made that whole time abroad just horrible. Like it didn't really make good friends because, you know, you're probably going to go out and socialize and eat out. And I didn't want to eat out with people. Mm. Um, and I actually became quite depressed because mm. if you're not giving your brain what it needs to make neurotransmitters, it can actually mm. affect your mood quite a lot. So then I came back, I was living with my parents I am in hindsight grateful, but I wasn't grateful at the time that they were like, our receptionist has left. Can you come and work for us for a bit? Um, But because I was in such a bad place, that like bit ended up being like six months Mm. um, before I finally did go and see a therapist because my dad just kept saying to me, basically, you've got to go. Otherwise, things are going to get worse. But I didn't believe him that things were going to get worse. It's that kind of always, oh, it's not going to happen to me. It's Mm. not going to get worse. Um, So I did go and see a therapist. (laughs) 
Um, and she did help me, but she wasn't a specialist in eating disorders. And I think she shook up loads of my beliefs and things were changing. And I was eating different foods, but I kind of didn't feel good about that. And then I started binge eating. And so it kind of flipped the opposite way. And this is something that I hear with clients quite a lot who have been restricting for, I was going to say years, but that's not true. It can actually be a shorter time Mm -hmm. as well. But you almost get this primal hunger. You're so hungry. It almost Mm -hmm. feels like you can't stop eating. Mm -hmm. Obviously, because I had so many rules, I literally hated myself Mm -hmm. for doing that. Um, Yeah, so then I developed bulimia because I'd started making myself sick when I'd eaten those foods but actually we know that making yourself sick it doesn't get rid of all the food and you're doing so much damage to your body um that it feels like a good idea at the time but it's definitely not a good Mm. idea um and things kind of started to get more stable actually that period is a bit blurry because I don't really know what happened but I think it did start eating more and just feeling a bit better and the therapist actually helped me with like a life goal and direction of like okay I'm going to start my PhD I started a health food blog because I thought I was in such a better place, but actually all my recipes were like, this granola is sugar-free or like this granola is fat-free or it always was something free. It could never just be a balanced Mm. thing because in my head, that's what healthy was. Um, I was kind of okay, but I was still making myself sick sometimes, but I didn't really recognize that was a problem because I was thinking, oh, I'm eating more now. I'm working out. It's just that still keeps happening once a week or once every two weeks, but it didn't feel like a problem, which Mm -hmm. is funny. So I kind of went back into denial. And then I was like really stressed about the PhD, putting so much pressure on myself. Um, And then it got to be, you know, a couple of times a week, every day from the, it was always in the evening before, like to lunchtime, to literally when I would wake up in the morning, the first thing that I would think about was like, do I have time to go and buy food? Sorry, if this is really triggering for someone, this is probably like quite quite in detail, but I would literally the first thing was like, can I go and buy food from the drop, eat it, make myself sick before I have my first meeting? And then I just thought, I cannot live like this anymore. It's so draining. This is now taking over my whole life mm. again. Um, that That's when I kind of got help mm. for that. So yeah, and also the other thing that I say about this story is like you don't have to wait until it is taking over your whole entire life. If you notice before, that is a really good time to do something about it because you don't want to get to that almost rock bottom place. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Like it's from somebody who obviously you've had an eating disorder, you know the, how hard it is to even take those first steps to accept that you have an eating disorder. So the fact that you can sit here today and speak about it so openly to so many people is incredible. So thank you just for sharing that with us, first of all. Um, I know that as much as that could be triggering for some people, that could be so helpful to relate to other people as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um it was a big question actually that I got asked on social media and you did just mention that actually you haven't got a way to hit rock bottom to get help. And I think that's a really big point to make because one person said to me earlier on, on Instagram, you know, how do you notice when you're slipping from that kind of healthy, and I say that in inverted commas because obviously people can't see this on a podcast, but I'm putting mm-hmm. my hands up, um, to unhealthy and like that shift of behavior. And I can see that quite a lot in, in clinic um, when people come and see me and show me what they're eating. And, you know, on paper, it looks incredibly healthy. But actually, you know, the distortion of healthy um, can be can be very distorted, actually, let me put it that way. So when when can people start actually noticing that it could be going to that unhealthy side of behavior? Yeah, I agree with you. It's really difficult to tell almost until it's gone too far. And then it's about knowing to kind of bring it back. But I think mm-hmm. if you're, I think it's that kind of bigger picture question of like, how is how is my behavior around food or my thoughts and my feelings around food impacting the rest of my life? So if mm-hmm. I kind of think about it, like if you want to eat healthy, Um, and that for example might be like eating more greens or eating less again in inverted commas but like junk food or something but then maybe you would still go to a barbecue that's a variety of foods you'll be like okay I'm at barbecue I'm going to eat a variety of foods rather than you know going to the barbecue you're 
either calorie counting everything in your head or you're thinking that food's got this in I can't eat that and almost like you're so in your head about the food that you can't enjoy the barbecue it's almost like you've lost that flexibility Mm. to think okay most of the time I will eat my version of healthy but sometimes actually if my friend says shall we go for a coffee and a cake today you might be like actually yeah I would like to go for a coffee and a cake today Mm. you know you're trying to be healthy so if it was every day then you might know that's not something I'm going to do every day but I can do it sometimes I think for me it's I notice when I was almost planning and worrying about those things happening I do remember saying to my therapist like but what if my friend um asked me for a coffee and cake and I go and then what if someone asked me the next day and then I've realized I actually don't have enough friends that are asking me for coffee and cake that that's like ever gonna happen (laughs) and if it did now I could decide what I wanted to do on that day maybe I would do it two days in a row or maybe I wouldn't maybe the next day be like you know what I'm not in the mood for that shall we do something else instead but it's almost that as well pre-planning and yeah some people like to meal prep but it's like what's the consequence if you couldn't meal prep that thing how anxious or how guilty or upset would you be feeling mm. about that thing rather than just like, oh, it's a shame I couldn't meal prep or, oh my gosh, I couldn't meal prep. Now what's going to happen and this and that. And do you know what I mean? That's kind of a difference. Um, I think they're the main things that come up for me. Like, can you still eat out? Can you still, again, it's a difficult one because it's like, if you want to work out, sometimes you maybe have to prioritize that workout over seeing your friends or overdoing something else. But if, you know, you're doing that all the time actually in my view now maybe that's not having a good impact Mm. on your life from doing that or maybe when people are like exercising through injuries or those sort of things as well so yeah I don't know if you had anything to add to that as well well I would say it's a real control mechanism and I think Mm -hmm. you know you you mentioned a few kind of highlighting points from your own experience which was perfectionism type a personality and then these are all kind of big areas that play a role in eating disorders and control is a really large part of it and one thing you can control is what you eat and how much Mm -hmm. you exercise and so if that is kind of your impending everyday thought and you mentioned kind of near the end it was you'd wake up and it was the first thing you think about it's it's quite like an addiction that when you realize that you have become maybe addicted to what you're eating and the fact or or how little you're eating or how much you're exercising um, addiction comes in all different shapes and forms and I think you know people might look at today on social media that a certain way of eating is, is is incredibly healthy but actually it can be incredibly detrimental and I think when something takes up a large part of your mind and your headspace that's I think when you can see the shift and the anxiety and the worry and the fear and we're definitely going to come on to feelings of guilt and shame because you know we all have those times when we have an odd occasional overeating session you know or I mean yesterday for myself all I wanted was chocolate and I ate you know half a box of lint but I didn't sit there and think gosh you know I feel so awful about this I actually thought this is bloody amazing because I really fancied it and I loved it and but I think if I would have had these overwhelming feelings of I feel so awful about myself I think you have to start reflecting and checking on yourself and thinking is that okay because I shouldn't feel so bad for wanting to have something and I think that's when you need to start seeing this is now maybe becoming an obsession that isn't good for me Yeah, what I would add in as well about the control piece that I talk to clients a lot about and they kind of recognize in themselves, it's almost like you feel like you're in control, but actually it's controlling you because you've got to live by these rules. And we kind of talk about how actually being in control is having a choice. Mm. So it's having the choice to go to the pub and have a salad or the choice to have a pizza if you wanted a pizza, just for examples of, of foods, rather than actually, no, I need to eat that salad with no dressing or do you know like literally just one lettuce leaf to be stereotypical obviously the choices will be different for different people and their food rules but you're almost not in control at that point like you say it feels like an addiction or like this thing is driving you as well Mm -hmm. that's such a big point because I bring that up a lot in clinic around control and it is true that that voice can feel very loud in many individuals' heads and it is actually essentially controlling them. And I think that's what makes eating disorders so exhausting and also so hard to overcome. Um, So I really want to kind of 
then divulge into eating disorders. Now, it's such a huge topic and we can't cover all the eating disorders in today's episode. But what I really want to talk to you about was, was orthorexia. Mm-hmm. And this is a new, I want to say it's a new type of eating disorder, but it's it's just come to light a lot more since the kind of clean eating movement. Mm-hmm. Just to say some statistics, um, from Beat UK, which is the eating disorder charity. Now, they mentioned on their site that they looked at a 2017 study and they found that anorexia nervosa, which is when we think of eating disorders, probably what most people would automatically assume, only accounted for around 8% of cases. And then avoidant restricted uh, disorders were around 5%. Binge eating was around 22% bulimia was 19% and then other specified feeding or eating disorders which in short form is OSFED was 47%. So we're really just seeing like the large variety of eating disorders and it's not necessarily the anorexia nervosa which many people assume is an eating disorder. So within that large bracket the topic orthorexia comes up a lot. Now for anyone listening thinking what is orthorexia? Rachel, would you be able to describe what orthorexia is? Yeah, so the term was actually first used in 1997. Um, but like you say, we're kind of seeing that term used a lot more recently because there's more research into it now. So if we think of it as like almost an obsession with, like you said, clean eating or eating right or eating pure, these foods. And in terms of the definition of um, orthorexia, it's different to anorexia in that the person... Mm. Um, with anorexia is very concerned with weight and shape and weight loss and losing weight and not wanting to be but comes kind of fat um with orthorexia actually that doesn't come into the definition but what I would say is because there's such a crossover in like sort of the mainstream narrative about you have to be a certain weight to be healthy being you know over a certain BMI is unhealthy which we know actually you can be healthy at a larger body mass index if you're you know sleeping enough eating fruit and vegetables not smoking etc there are health behaviors that you can do to be healthy but I think because people think oh I don't want to be overweight because that's unhealthy I need to keep this lower body weight actually it kind of gets a bit murky Mm. and gray in that people who want to be healthy and eat healthy actually are also often concerned with body weight and shape or being toned looking toned um those sort of things as well and I guess how it kind of shows up for people like we say is having those food rules how people feel if those rules are broken and almost becoming kind of hyper vigilant about eating the wrong thing mm. um so like if you go to someone's house for dinner thank gosh that we can do that now yeah. <laughs> after lockdown but like you will be checking in on what 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 are they giving me? You know, you can't just think, okay, I'll just go over and have the food. You want to know what's in there. Checking labels of food. Um, and again, like we said, it really just consuming your mind with being preoccupied with what is the clean thing to eat. And I think it gets really mm. difficult for people because there are so many definitions, like you kind of touched on earlier, of what is healthy. And mm. it can often for people kind of get to the point that they really don't know. And actually you're eating such a minimal range of foods that it's turned out to be unhealthy because you've got a nutrient deficiency or you're not giving your body enough energy. So it's almost like a paradox, really. I don't know if you want to add anything. No, I think that's so important. It, I think it's such a hard one to understand orthorexia because I think the main start of of this way of eating is that you start because you really want to be healthy. Mm. You don't go into it thinking, right, that's it. I'm going <laughs> to cut all of this out because I want to be really thin. You go into it because the consumer is kind of being, I want to say, you know, a lot of marketing plays a role in it, but you're kind of seen from social aspects of society that this way is the best way to eat. Um, And that's when it can kind of become a bit addictive because then you think, well, actually, am I going to get sick if I eat this? Am I going to gain weight Mm -hmm. if I eat this? Or am I going to suffer with depression if I have this? You know, because there's so many mixed messages around food and nutrition and I see it a lot as a nutritionist um but I think this is the problem that we have a lot of our culture today is shaped on you know heavy choices around food that aren't always kind of the right the right choices and there's a lot of loud voices in one area that maybe aren't from 
expert opinions or people that you know have done that research around it so it can feel a real mixed message to so many people um you know what would be for you could you explain to people like the signs and the symptoms of if they might be thinking well actually I do worry if I don't eat organic and I do worry if Mm -hmm. I don't get my five fruit and vegetables in a day and I I have cut out meat and I am now a vegan you know what are the signs and symptoms of getting orthorexia could you maybe give a few of them Yeah, it's funny that you touched on the vegan because actually, so um, I've got a podcast called Just Eat Normally um, and one of my guests on there, we were talking about um, veganism and eating disorders and almost can you be a vegan when you've got an eating disorder and she was saying for her, she is kind of an ethical vegan. I went vegan for a while because I thought it was healthy Mm. and she was saying like for her being vegan, it was almost like if she looked at a dessert on the menu or something and it had milk it and she would just think oh okay right that one's not for me whereas I would get really worried about it I've not explained this very well she was almost like if she saw a non-vegan ingredient she said she doesn't like mint so if she saw something had mint and she would be like oh no okay I just don't want that Mm. because it's got it was almost a more neutral decision Mm. but for me it was like I really want that thing but it's got um milking or whatever they think so I can't have it now because of this food rule yeah. as for her it's more just done decision so I find that really interesting to know um I hear the question but it can be a very clever way of kind of hiding the eating disorder so I think now the, the I think going back 20 years ago you didn't have all these health foods popping up mm. all these you know labels that were called health foods or immune boosting foods or collagen boosting foods you know all of these things where terminology which really makes the consumer or individual want to buy it to look and feel better for themselves mm-hmm. whereas today we have so many ways to mask an eating disorder and that could be you know yes being vegan for ethical reasons or you know for you know sustainability reasons I completely understand that doesn't mean it's the most healthiest way to eat um and I think but you could easily say I am a vegan because of those reasons but actually as you said it's a different reason it's because you're you have a fear around certain types of food groups and so it's very easily masked Mm -hmm. orthorexia and I think that's the worrying sign of this eating disorder yeah I feel like it's easily masked for a certain amount of time Mm. And then people start to notice, like you say, she can't eat out or she's just almost that overreaction to things as well. Because I think, like I say, you're almost hypervigilant looking like, oh, has that food got it in? Has that not that normally if I'm just thinking like once I went to my cousin's house and she um, had made separate potatoes for me in a way that I would have eaten them. Um, but her husband didn't know. And so he'd put them in the oven with like goose fat or something. And I was so angry and upset about that, almost because I wasn't eating enough during the day either. So I was probably really hangry, but also like I didn't forgive him for that for like a good while. I was still playing it in my head when Mm. it's like, usually you just, oh, okay, that, like I said, that's just saying, let that go. So I think people around you do start to pick up on how you're acting about certain situations that you didn't, Mm. but I think it is really difficult because it's almost like a values conflict of the person who because when I was when I basically had orthorexia my dad was trying to say to me look but these foods aren't unhealthy but I just wouldn't believe him yeah I was thinking I don't want to eat like you I'm gonna eat my healthy stuff almost like people can be quite defensive Mm -hmm. about it and I think if you find yourself starting to get that defensive and like we said lacking that flexibility I think is that's when you know okay, maybe this isn't okay. And also it's thing, kind of one thing that really stuck with me is, do you know when you see, maybe you haven't, but I'm guessing you have um, on Instagram, people saying like, you know, you're, I can't think of a nice way to phrase this now. <laughs> you're on your deathbed and you're looking back on your life. Mm-hmm. Do you want to think, oh, I'm really glad that I lived these five years longer and I didn't mm-hmm. eat that ice cream or I didn't eat X, Y, and Z? Or do you want to be like, oh, okay, maybe I could have had another two years in me, but I've had so many good experiences with friends and I've really lived my life and been so involved in it. Mm-hmm. Almost which would you would you rather? Not that you have to make a decision, but just 
I don't know for me as well, it's like you're doing all, <laughs> this sounds also a bit morbid, so I'm sorry, but it's like you're doing all these really healthy things, but to be morbid, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and it doesn't matter. So it's almost like actually, are these things helping you in the long run? And we'll never know because we can't give you two parallel lives to know what would happen. Mm-hmm. But I think it just helps give you different perspectives on it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think it's such a hard one to to divulge because I think so many people do struggle with this, but are maybe unaware. And so let's just kind of pop in some symptoms that might be. So I would say if you're getting fear of eating out mm-hmm. or you are being very defensive around the food that is on offer to you or that you're worried if it's 100% organic or if the food's raw or, mm-hmm. you know, even even like small things such as, you know, did it go into any processing? You know, there's so many different elements to this that, you know, is it comparable to the people that you follow on Instagram and wellness bloggers that are sharing their food? And it's something that I'm very aware of that I don't show what I eat in a day for the reason that it doesn't matter because everybody's so individual. And it's about trying to find for you what is right for your body. And that could be a completely different diet to the wellness blogger that's on Instagram. But if you're having this huge shame and guilt around what's attached to that, I think these are kind of the main symptoms that people need to be aware of. And as you said, going to a barbecue and worried how clean that food is or worrying if it's been mixed with a different type of oil um, has a huge impending fear, then there is going to be definitely a reason for concern to say, actually, this probably is now controlling my life and there's something that I need to address. And maybe it's not the food that is the issue. And this is where the psychology part comes in. A lot of the time when eating disorders develop, it's not always just about weight or about body image or about, I guess, that type of food. There is normally a a deeper psychological issue or reasoning around these develop. And, you know, could you kind of explain the reasoning behind that or why, you know, I guess it's very hard to say why eating eating disorders develop because they are complex, but it's not necessarily just to do around weight, is it, or food? Yeah, um, just super quickly, um, one point on what you were saying before. Also, um, it can be rules around when you eat because I think intermittent Mm. fasting is a big thing now and it's like, oh, I've got to wait that extra 10 minutes or, you know, until I can eat. So I think if you're feeling guilty about eating out of your fasting window or, you know, a certain time or, oh, my body can't digest this food if I eat after whatever o'clock at night, like your body can. Um, but I think we get all these rules about that as well. Yeah. And then in terms of eating disorders, how they develop, um, we kind of think of it in terms of risk factors. So it's like, if you have one of these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get an eating disorder, just makes it kind of more likely. Um, and the analogy that I like to use as well is thinking that, so in terms of our genetics you have to bear with me because I don't often explain this (laughs) to people um that almost if you've got genetics that predispose you to have an eating disorder which um obviously like scientists and researchers are looking into um it's almost like you've got this egg Mm. and then your sort of personality or psychological factors so maybe you're like you said a perfectionist um like the overachiever personality often um, quite introverted for like restrictive eating disorders or maybe impulsive, that's almost coming to like tap on that egg. Mm. And when the egg cracks, that means that's sort of when you've got the eating disorder. So there's those factors Mm. that are tapping on it. And then also, um, so this is like the biopsychosocial model. So biology um, and neurology, making the egg, the genetics, and then social. So our contacts and also our life experiences. So maybe if someone has had like a trauma or low self-esteem based on what's going on. And when I say trauma as well, that can be, you know, the big traumatic things that people think about, but also um, smaller things in terms of bullying, or even if you're interpreting your parents' behavior like that they don't love me, that Mm. is very traumatic um, Mm. for someone. So it's kind of how all these things kind of build on each other. So um, I do hypnotherapy um, with clients as well. And we kind of go back, well, we don't kind of, we actually do. Uh, we go back to memories underlying the eating disorder and what was happening. And then we kind of see how things are kind of built up over time and snowboard. And it's like those beliefs that you made, maybe it made sense when you're five, but when you're bringing those all the way throughout your life, 
actually they stop serving you and can make you engage in you know these eating disorder behaviors so we think of like anorexia and really restricting eating controlling eating like you say giving someone that sense of control but it's also quite numbing Mm. um when you're not eating enough or sometimes when people aren't eating enough they almost kind of get this high Mm. from it and that's quite rewarding to keep it going and then with binge eating as well if people haven't developed coping mechanisms which I don't think we are taught growing up have to Mm. cope with a lot of life situations like we're taught maths and English and stuff in school but we're not actually taught life skills so then Mm. when we kind of have a gap in our skill toolbox it's like oh actually this food is making me feel good Mm. this food is giving me that release when I'm eating this food I don't have to think about all those things that are stressing me out um so yeah it just kind of builds up till the the eating disorder comes in like I say as a coping mechanism and maybe it starts off like we said with the healthy eating it's helping you there's it's almost I don't want to say gone too far but it's almost not so detrimental and then it kind of builds on a life of its own until it's kind of Mm. taking over everything yeah well it becomes I think for many people a friend Mm -hmm. and it becomes a trusting and coping mechanism and so I think the reason why so many people can feel so fearful of actually admitting they have that eating disorder is because it's like they're losing part of them they're losing that friend that's always been there that's always been supportive to them and it can be very hard for somebody to realize that that is not a healthy part of them. But again, it's that very trusting part. It comes in an emergency situations. And with that, and as it, as it does develop, you know, what are the problems and complications around this? I mean, you mentioned earlier around the skin and your hair was falling out, but generally for most people, we do obviously have the health side of it which can be very problematic, such as, you know, you might struggle to get pregnant later on. There could be problems with um, your fertility. Um, There could be problems with mental health. There could be many problems with gastro. But talking as well about emotional consequences and relationships, you know, what problems are, are associated with restrictive eating? Yeah, I think you definitely touched on a lot of them there. And I would say as well, like with the gastro problems, often that fuels an eating disorder or, you know, quest to find the right diet even more because you're thinking, oh, what I'm eating now is obviously making things worse. Oh, I need to restrict even more foods or I need to change my diet to this other category of foods or like cut out FODMAPs. I think a lot of people end up Mm. um, doing that, but actually you're possibly making it worse and actually needed to eat more variety Mm. um, of food. So that is a big, a big one. Um, And then also with that, like often then people can get bloated and then they think, I'm getting fat. I don't want to eat in those foods, but actually your body's just trying to cope with Mm. all the foods. Um, So yeah, like you said, the physical consequences, definitely energy, whether that's your restricting or binging um, or binging and purging or um, also with eating disorders, people might have other like uh, compensatory mechanisms. So like very excessive exercise to kind of burn off foods. Um, and again, how to know when that's a problem. If you're, you know, going for a three hour run and not spending time with your family, obviously if you're training for a marathon or whatever, you know, like we say, this is where it's a gray area. But if you know, I'm only doing this because I'm going to feel so bad if I don't do it. Mm. Um so yeah and then I guess in relationships like we were saying if you're so in your head about stuff actually it's almost like and I am gonna say this because it feels like calling people out doesn't feel like the nicest thing to say but it's almost like you do become a bit selfish but it's not on purpose it's because you've got so much going on that you kind of don't have the capacity to deal with other people in their stuff because you have so much and you're not fueling your brain you know in order to help its capacity um that I think then that's when it can influence relationships because people can kind of feel like oh you're not there for me anymore or like I said when I didn't want to go out and meet people around food so you're removing yourself from a lot of social situations and then sometimes people's friends kind of stop inviting them to stuff because they think well she's not she or he or they are not going to come anyway so you know let's not invite her and then you feel more isolated that feeds eating disorder even more I got in so many arguments as well with my now husband um when I wasn't eating enough and actually um I can't tell the story we split up because he's like I can't see you doing this to yourself basically every time I saw him we would end up arguing 
and I'm not really an argumentative person. Like we never argue now. We argued like once this year because we couldn't decide what pictures <laughs> we wanted to put up. And I think we were just both getting a bit frustrated. Um, but apart from that, like we never argue, but because I was so hungry, also the eating disorder has its own kind of logic. So what I was saying was logical, but he didn't understand at all. He's like, you're making no sense. So we almost like buttered heads on that. And he always had to buy like special food in for me when I went, otherwise I would freak out and we couldn't go out to restaurants or we'd like literally walk around like 15 restaurants before there was something that I could eat in one of them. And he's Mm. just kind of like, I'm sick of it. But we'd booked a holiday um, and we didn't want to lose the money because it was too late to cancel. So we went on the holiday and we got back together. So it turned out all right in the end. Um, And I remember when we split up as well, I was thinking, I'm choosing this eating disorder over him, but it feels like I I have to make this choice. It feels like I can't not choose it. Mm. Almost like it was that in my head about it that I think you just don't make the same rational decisions that you would Mm. at other times um I'm sure there's loads more areas of life that it affects but they're not coming to to the top of my head right now it's just basically every aspect of your life yeah and so for anyone that's maybe listening to this and thinks my partner is really suffering with an eating disorder or I have a best friend or somebody that has a work colleague or a daughter or a son because it affects men and women as well Mm -hmm. it doesn't just not just affecting women you know what how important is language because I know especially from the modeling industry you know commenting on wow you look great you've lost so much weight or you know Oh, you know, what what diet have you been on? Because you look fantastic. I think even if you're not aware that somebody's not physically got an eating disorder, getting this new kind of understanding around language and the importance of language is such an important thing, whether you have an eating disorder or not, because we seem to always compliment people now on how they look as opposed to other things that are going on in people's lives. Um, Can you talk to me about how important language is? Yeah, definitely. Um, So... I think you saw I did an article I was asked to comment on an article uh, recently which maybe you can link um, in the show notes because I think it made so many important points about how actually when you're complimenting someone on weight loss you don't know the reasons why they've lost that weight for one yes they might have gone Mm. on a diet and been trying really hard and be really proud of themselves but actually maybe they were really stressed maybe something like awful is going on in their life or they you know have got an illness that's caused them to lose weight and then I think it just comes back to the thin ideal in society that there's this body shape and weight that we all well not all obviously but a lot of us um a lot of people kind of find that attractive almost put it on that pedestal and if you don't fit that then you know I guess people feel bad about themselves for not fitting it but actually Mm. people have different weights and shapes naturally and almost you're praising the people who have a certain body type Mm. for having that when they have it naturally um I'm not explaining this very well it's some it goes around in my head quite often about this situation and what can we do to change it and actually um I'll mention it now because it kind of fits in now I didn't know when it would come up um but I read such a good book it's called Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison so maybe you can link that too but it kind of goes into all the history of like diet culture and where it came from and it was saying actually um obviously the whole size zero thing but it's only recently in the past like don't know how many years a bit more than 100 years that we've had standardized clothing Mm. and we can compare ourselves to each other before that everyone would kind of have their own clothes tailored so it's just super interesting to give you lots of different perspectives about sort of the thin ideal and then at the end she does talk about sort of how to get off the diet almost and get more in touch with your body's hunger and fullness signals so I'll definitely link that in the show notes. I think it's really, I think really good to do some around reading. And I think even if you do not suffer with an eating disorder, um, taking language and compliments away from how someone looks is really important. So complimenting them and their kindness or on their achievements in work or taking time off. I mean, I do compliment a lot of my friends when they actually take some time off because, you know, they're always working to the grind. And I think it's around like recognizing what you're complimenting people on um, and to not solely solely be on looks um, because it is, again, very, very destructive. And I think, you know, from my side of things, being in the modeling industry, 
it is based on looks. So I was always complimented on how I looked. And that is really destructive because I think your self-worth then relies on, you know, your aesthetics as opposed to anything else. And that can very much affect one's self-esteem. So bringing that nicely onto self-esteem, a lot of people that suffer with eating disorders do have a very low self-esteem. So what advice would you give to people to help increase their self-esteem and their self-worth? Yeah, I think you just touched on it. I think when we put our self-esteem on external things or needing certain praise or validation from other people, then our self-esteem can get quite low when we don't, like you say, get that validation. And I said, for me, I was putting my self-esteem on being good at like a sport and being good at exams. And then when I didn't have those things, it's like, who am I? Um, so I think it's really building up that sense of who am I? What do I enjoy doing? Because I think that's another thing with an eating disorder that becomes your sole focus. And like once my husband, when he was still my boyfriend was like, I don't even know you. Like, I don't know what to buy you as a present apart from food. And if I bought you food, then you would freak out. So, you know, it takes away. Mm. So I think it's building back up the things um, that you do enjoy. And actually what really helped me um, when I was recovering was journaling. Actually thinking one thing I love about myself today is, or if you can't love it, just one thing I accept about myself today is, and almost start to give yourself that evidence list of the things that are good. So I thought I was thinking this yesterday in my head because I'm, like, I'm going to start doing this again because it does make me feel really good when I do it. So it might be like, I try and think, what have I done today? That's either been like nice or I'm proud of myself for. Um, so if you're really struggling, it might just be like one thing I love about myself today was that I got out of bed and replied to a message from my friend. But honestly, because then you're going about your day as well, looking for those things mm. that are positive about yourself that aren't to do with your weight and shape in your body and then the mm. second thing that I am really big on because there's quite a lot of research um, about this is starting to look at your body for what it can do and living in your body rather than what it looks like so another journaling question is my body can um, so that's like my body can walk around or my body can work the computer like do you know when you actually think about like really lower level how you're able to do so many things like even make a cup of tea mm. so many functions in your body have to be happening for you to coordinate and for that to happen and then your taste buds are working for you to taste the tea and then your do you know it's just so many things that when we start to look at it that way we can start to appreciate our body more mm. and actually if I, I kind of think of it in terms of brain room, like you're talking about the brain room taken up by how does my body look starts to shrink and the brain room taken up by appreciating your body kind of starts to grow um, mm. and you can sort of slowly make that that shift to improving your self-worth and feeling, I will say better about your body. I kind of say like people, you don't need to love it, but if you can mm. just feel neutral about it, actually you can do so many more things mm. um, in your life. So they would be it's my two questions. <laughs> That's such a good point because I think, it takes me back to when I do yoga, um, they always, there's one thing where we sit kind of on the balls of our feet and we're stretching our feet out for quite a while and our teacher's always saying, you know, you need to be thankful for your feet and how much work that they do and that they carry your body around and it actually, you break down those body parts and think, wow, I really appreciate every part of my body that does these things for me without me even thinking about having to do it and I guess, you know, if you you did end up kind of ending up in a wheelchair or losing your sight or one of these things that we take for granted, you actually then realise the the importance around that. So I think that's a really good question just to have gratitude actually for the daily, daily bodily movements that we all have. Um, so before I kind of wrap up into recovery, which is something that I'm sure so many people are eager to talk about, like if we can recover, before I get to that, it's... I wanted to talk about social media and I think the reason why I've brought this up is because we all have this huge, you know, we all know that social media affects how we feel and how we act and how our behaviour is day to day because it has such a large impact on us. But especially over the last year, everyone has had an increase within their social media, um, you know, daily limits. And there's been a lot of studies that have shown a link between increased social media use and negative body image issues, particularly along among young people. Um, 
And I think it does play a huge role, but there also is a, a flip reverse to that, that social media can also be really positive. Um, there's lots of positive accounts out there to follow um, that aren't even to do around body or self-help groups that can support one another. Um, but I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts around social media. And if anyone is listening to this podcast and struggling with their eating, you know, what advice would you give them regarding their social media usage? Because I think it's a really important one to cover. Yeah, definitely. And I like how you covered both sides of it. Because like you say, actually, sometimes it can be used almost for good. Um, so it would almost be empowering people to like, take that their power back of who they're following and I guess the first step is probably awareness like how these accounts making me feel and almost I kind of like say to my clients like we kind of talk about this decision tree of like if do you know like those um like you know um when you read like a magazine and it's got like that quiz of like which celebrity Mm. would be your friend and it's got like four (laughs) options and then you have to kind of go the yes and no ways almost like do I want to keep how is this person making me feel? Okay, they're making me feel good or not really great. Okay, if they're making you feel good, that's probably end of decision. Like, okay, I'll keep following them because I enjoy it. But if they're not, you've kind of either got the decision, okay, I'm going to unfollow them and just almost avoid that trigger. But if you want to keep following them, then almost it's your decision if you do want to feel better about yourself to change how you're thinking about that Mm. trigger. Um, Because I kind of wanted to bring that point up earlier as well, actually, when you were talking about uh, people commenting on your weight Unfortunately, like, I think, yes, let's not comment pe- on people's weight, but mm. people who aren't almost involved in this conversation mm. are still going to carry on doing it. So it's almost actually how can you help yourself process that differently mm. and give yourself other thoughts. So kind of it's called reframing. Sometimes I think people just compliment on your weight because they want a compliment back. So there's lots of reasons someone could be doing it it's almost looking at those so it's like if you're scrolling you don't want to unfollow that person you can actually mute people do you know if it's your friend that, that you're like yeah. actually your friend that's uh, friend isn't helping me you can mute them um but you know just thinking like actually this isn't telling their whole life and um you must know this lady too but I don't know how to say her name is it Danae Danae Mercer I don't know how to read people's names because she never says it, but um, I'll give you a guess. She does so many um, great posts of like, this is one angle. This is me from one angle. This is me from another angle. Or like, this is this lighting. This is that lighting. And she looks quite different. So mm-hmm. it's almost actually, if you do want to carry on following those people, just kind of remember, actually, this isn't what they look like mm-hmm. all day, every day. So kind of bringing that awareness, I think. Um, or like we say, just unfollow, populate your social media with people who you are enjoying. And I think this is something to do ongoing because sometimes people think, oh, I've done it once, but actually your mood changes, your preferences probably change. So every so often go on a following, unfollowing spree, I think. I also think it's really important just to take a break. Mm. I definitely had this kind of, I definitely had an unhealthy relationship with social media at one point where I thought I've got to post every day. And I love my followers. I'm so, I'm so engaged with them and they're so fantastic, but you do feel social pressure to make sure you're posting every day. And right at the moment I'm moving house. And so that is what my weekends are kind of taken up with. So my phone is away from me. And then I feel this worry on a Sunday night thinking I haven't posted all weekend, but now I've got to the point of thinking, actually, it's so healthy to take a break and you shouldn't let your social media rule your life and so I think just allowing yourself to say well actually for my mental health I need a couple of days away from social media just checking in and those small things can make such a big impact on how you feel and then going back to it the refreshed state of mind is a is a really kind of it's really helped me anyway in in navigating social media in a positive way um but leading on to recovery, because I know that I want to cover this before we before we finish the podcast, you know, is recovery possible? Because I think that's kind of everyone's impending thought, and I'm sure it was probably yours when you hit rock bottom with, with your eating disorder. Is recovery possible or is it forever going to be there in, in a daily battle? I mean, I think recovery is possible. I feel recovered like I don't like say I'm not in that headspace I'm not questioning all my decisions and I feel like with recovery as well I talk to this about clients it's I feel like somehow there is kind of a line in the sand when you're kind of past it but also it 
gets to keep getting better and better because I realized actually when I talk to clients sometimes I kind of have leftover food food rules about foods that I don't eat very often but it's still kind of like oh don't eat that food but I don't think to like question that food rule because it doesn't come up as a problem then I'm like when my clients tell me about sex I'm like yeah oh yeah I'm gonna go and eat that food now take put it back into the you can eat this list but it's not like preoccupying my mind all the time so I don't feel like Mm. I still have um, an eating disorder and I would say the thing about recovery is because you had those thoughts before and those sort of neural pathways in your brain occasionally you might get triggered by something but it doesn't I mean, when you're first recovering, maybe it would lead to a lapse or a relapse, but actually the longer you are into recovery, you can almost just observe that thought, you know, like mindfulness of like, oh, isn't it interesting that I'm thinking that thing? I wonder what triggered me. Almost this is like a lot of what I teach my clients to do to stay Mm -hmm. in recovery. It's almost like not got that emotional charge anymore, Mm. but you're just kind of viewing that thought and think, ah, isn't that funny that I think Mm. this? And I think it just happens less and less often. So um like I've been recovered for don't know how many years now maybe like two or three years like fully fully recovered oh no when did I do my eating disorder training 2018 I was definitely recovered then so however long that's been um but I spoke to someone who has been recovered for 12 years and she's like basically I never think about it anymore because I think you've just set up your life in a way that you don't get triggered anymore and also just to like re- cement this so I've told you about a few people's experiences um so I did my training at the National Centre for Eating Disorders um the lady who runs it is wonderful I don't know how old she is and I don't think she'll ever listen to it's fine but she must be 70 (laughs) (laughs) yeah Gianne so she thinks full recovery is possible I'm like she has written nice guidelines she has done like Mm. all the stuff she believes is possible and also um I did my PhD at the University of Sheffield and the head of department um specializes in eating disorder recovery and like has done a lot of work on cbt and he must be you know old enough um and he thinks that full recovery is possible and i'm like okay so these experts believe it is i've got my own experience of it so i definitely believe it and i think it's one of those things what's that quote it's not coming to my mind um but oh whether you think you can or you think you can't you can't you're right and so almost actually having that positive expectation for yourself your brain's going to look for the evidence that you can whereas if you're always thinking oh no I can't I can't I can't you're almost not even going to try because you can't Mm. that makes sense so I think for me it's a big yes good oh that well I think (laughs) so many people who are in that maybe darker space um hearing that is, is is so important um so for anyone who wants to know more about you, Rachel, or follow you on Instagram, you know, could you please give everybody your, your details of where they can find you? Oh, yeah. So on Instagram, I am rachel.evans.phd. And like I said, I've also got a podcast, which is quite like this, actually. It's quite chatty. And we talk about people's recovery stories. And then if they're an expert, we kind of talk about some evidence and specific questions. That's called Just Eat mm-hmm. Normally. And then my website is eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. Amazing. And lastly, I always like to leave the podcast by asking a question. Rachel, how do you live well and be well? Oh, yeah. So for me, I think it comes back to that flexibility and balance. And I think since having the eating disorder, just more awareness of a kind of it's hard to explain on the podcast um but like if balance is kind of in the middle and I notice myself getting one way or the other way kind of off center um so maybe it's like you've been doing whatever and you haven't hardly eaten a vegetable all week then I kind of just gently think to myself okay come on let's eat a few more vegetables and kind of move back to the center where it feels good for me to be doing those behaviors but I can eat kind of whatever foods I want really or again with movement um, I try and do something every day, whether that's a walk um, or whatever. But then if I notice I'm doing a lot, maybe I'll slow down a bit or I'm not doing a lot. Maybe I'll, you know, introduce some. So I think it's all about finding your own balance and then noticing when you're out of balance. Brilliant. I think finding your own groove is essential um, in living well, being well. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to have you. And again, thank you for just being so honest.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. For more help and resources, please do head to the show notes of today's episode. And until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.